You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I hope you brought an apple for the teacher. It's time for the Star Seminar. Here are your hosts, Rebel Rouser and Danny Phantom. Welcome one and all to another episode of the Star Seminar. We are your pigskin professoriate. I am Dr. Rebel Rouser and with me is Professor Danny Phantom. How are you doing today, Professor? Uh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Um, nice intro there, Rabs. Uh, you know, I, I feel... Uh, feel like that's a lot to have to live up to so uh you know doing all right i must say i'm uh i'm actually fasting today so um if you know i'm feeling a little lightheaded so if i say anything a little bit you know foolish you know i'm just gonna blame it on on the fast um but you know what i'm just Why trying strategy to, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to get through this uh the silliness that is the off season with all the crazy news going around and um in Cowboys land. So, you know, I, I, uh, actually had a moment to take a look at that, um, that movie, the Sean Payton movie on Netflix, uh, home team. Have, have you seen oh, that no. movie? The, the one with Kevin James is Sean it's, Payton. Yes. I, I don't oh, I, no, How was it? Oh, you know what? I, I don't really know how to feel about it because, you know, I can't figure out if they're trying to be serious because uh, they go back and forth between some actual truths of, you know, what happened with that whole, you know, bounty gate scandal that went on, and and then just the whole Adam Sandler silliness that he employs in his movie. I mean, I don't know who thought it would be a good idea to to cast, you know, Doug Heffernan as Sean Payton, and so I just I don't know. I would say, Rabs, it's not my favorite sports movie. You know, it's there's some entertainment value just because, uh, you know, I like the NFL and history with what went on there but no i would say sports movie not my favorite um but speaking of favorite sports movies i wanted to ask you what is your favorite sports movie okay so i have to ask you a question first can we include documentaries or not documentaries uh that's you know what there are no rules here so I mean, you can include whatever you want, and I will tell you what I think about that. Uh, fair how, enough. Um, so I will say that uh, as we head into this, I will say that I think in general, Hollywood does a really good job of telling stories about making movies and a very poor job of telling stories about what it's like in other fields. And as someone who's studied sports pretty actively most of his life, I'm almost always disappointed by sports movies because I think Hollywood doesn't understand sports. I don't think they understand what, what motivates a team. And, and, and then most, I think most egregiously is they, they, they can never get the thing that makes sports so fascinating, right? Which is the incredible athleticism, right? So there, there are always, um, like scenes of, of football plays and stuff where it just doesn't really look like football. Um, I don't think there's, I don't, I, I'm not sure that there's a, there's a football movie that I believe. One of the other things I think that Hollywood really doesn't understand about football is how to portray its particular violence. Like, so when they want to show violence, what they'll do is they'll have someone like, you know, uh, give a forearm shiver to someone and, and, and the person who gets the forearm shiver like goes, you know, um, ass over elbows, so to speak. 
and and that's not how that's not how it works it, it, it's just you know it's, there's a lot of contact but hollywood seems to miss that or doesn't doesn't seem to be able to understand the ways in which that can be dramatic or interesting so that that's my that's my sort of proviso at the top i will say that i think the best sports movie that's ever been made that's that's a very very compelling film that i you know i've watched several times and it's fascinating and heartbreaking and and beautiful and brilliant is a documentary called hoop dreams that was made about a couple of high schoolers in inner city Chicago um, hoop dreams, I think was made in the like mid nineties. And it's um, it's a comment on, on basketball, but also just on the dream itself and um, the sort of poverty of the urban environment and the urban landscape and how, you know, people are using sports as a way to get out of that. And it's a, it's a really fascinating commentary on, on all that on Clinton America, et cetera. Uh, in terms of, in terms of movie movies that are, that are purely fictitious, I will say that one of my favorite movies that I go back to again and again, and you actually saw me um, when we were at camp together uh, carrying a piece of memorabilia that connects to this movie, and that yeah. is the Bad News, the Bad News Bears. Right. So the Bad News Bears is something that I saw when I was a kid. It was the same age as the, as the kids who were in, in the, we're talking about the original Bad News Bears now with, Mal, with Walter uh, Matthau and Tatum O'Neill. And um, I was the same age. I was playing the Little League at the same time. The best team in our league was the Yankees. They were a bunch of jerks. So I totally <laughs> vibed. And we were like a bunch of ruffians and stuff. Uh, I totally vibe with that movie. I want to tell you a quick story about this kid who was in uh, my league. He played. I played uh, with him for one year, and then he was on another team for a couple of years. Uh, he was an amazing little, like, short, blonde-haired kid. Tough little, tough little SOB. Very much like... Um, that tough little kid who's in Bad News Bear, Bears, and he had the best name ever. His name, I kid you not, was Buddha Tuck. And Buddha Tuck was like <laughs> a little tiny kid, but he pitched and he and he like he would if if there was ever a fight, he would get in the fight. I don't think there were fights, but like if there were, he would have been the first one in. Just a tough, hard nosed little kid, and uh, he had you know he had through junk when he was like ten. He was awesome, <laughs> and so. I saw Buddha Tuck in that in in the kids in Bad News Bears. I saw myself in the kids in Bad News Bears, and um, I know it's a ridiculous movie, but I just love the fact that it, it captured an era in which adults didn't give a, a flying f, and you know the, the the manager could be drinking beers in, in the dugout, and none of the parents blinked their eyes at it, and the kids were just you know uh, just having fun all the time. It was it was a great era before the kind of advent of the helicopter parent. How about you, my friend? Uh, what's your favorite sports movie? First off, I just—it's great movies, by the way. Um, you know, with the thing that really bothered me though about Bad News Bears is, did they not have like an age group for these kids? Because there was a pretty good range. You had some little guys, and then some guy that rode a motorcycle. You know, I mean, he—I mean, he was pretty old. So, uh, so that was a little bit weird, but. Um, Maybe he hadn't used up all his eligibility yet. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. You never know. That's, um, you know, for me, I, I I totally understand with a lot of things you're saying with um, how how things are Hollywooded up, and I I really did enjoy the this is I enjoyed the movie Draft Day, even though it's about the draft, and um, of course they got to the point where it got a little bit too much, you know, you know, at the end when he's getting all the the picks back and everything. So that's, you know, you never like it when. You know they do. They take something and they completely do something unrealistic. Uh, but outside of that, every a lot of stuff that was going on was was really enjoyable to me. So I I, I do I, I do watch that when it comes on. It's I thought it it, it was pretty well done. Um, also too a, a movie that I enjoyed and and you're right as far as how how real it was it wasn't. But I thought the movie Friday Night Lights was a good movie. You know with a uh, Billy Bob Thornton as the, the head coach. And I think I, what I liked about it the most is that it kind of mirrored some of the obnoxiousness that some of the fans have and just, you know, when things don't go the way they're supposed to. And to me that, you know, cause you know, he got blamed for booby getting hurt and a lot of stuff that went on. It was a lot of pressure for, for him to win football games. So, there was just there are a lot of things that were happening in that movie that I thought was that made a pretty good story and it, you know it didn't end with everybody like celebrating and lifting everyone up it had you know a, a different type of ending so so I would say that uh, that would probably be one of my more enjoyable uh, sports movies. <laughs> 
That's a good one. I, I think uh, I think it's not as good as the book, and I think it's much, much better than the series. I never watched the TV show, I must say, even, which is weird since I really like the movie, but I just, I just never tried watching it. I, I tried and I couldn't, I couldn't stick with it. I just couldn't. And that's probably a topic for another day, but it, it was a tough watch for me. Okay, Rabs, what do we have on the agenda today? I'm glad you asked, Professor. Um, it's actually a, a fascinating uh, situation because sports and movies are the perfect setup for today's special guest. We're going to chop it up today, and I'm so excited to be saying this with the great Rafael Vila, who happens to be a film professor, as well as the Dean of Cowboy Bloggers. So uh, we'll ask him about some of his favorite films, and then we're going to turn our attention to the Cowboys offseason in a double segment we're calling If I Ran the Circus. So let's get him in here. But before we do that, I just wanted to mention that if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging the Boys podcast network. Leave us a rating, write a review, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher. Tell us what you think. Anything you would like to see us do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, anything Cowboys, Hot Topics, favorite draft prospects, or what is your favorite sports movie? Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DannyPhantom24, and Rabs is at RabbleRouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. It is my succinct pleasure to welcome into the studio today's guest, the great Rafael Vila. Rafael, how are you? Um, quite flattered with that intro, but thank you. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be with both of you gentlemen, and, and anybody else that's watching us. So, Raphael, uh, the Dean of Cowboys Bloggers, uh, he's been a writer at Blogging the Boys. Um, Boys.com. Boys. Boys.com was the yeah, first Yeah, Boys.com. 19, 1995, right. And, um, and that was, I, I think, uh, writing for KD over at uh, Cowboys Wire. Right. As, as, I, as I tell people, I was, I was blogging before the term existed, so. Um, indeed, indeed. I don't give any credit for, for coining the term, but that's what we were doing uh, so, back in, in 95 and 96. Last last week we had John Williams on as a guest, and and when we were first you know we first greeted him, he said to to uh, to Danny and I, he said, you know, it's really great to be on with you guys because uh, when I was just coming up, I, you know, I, I used to look to your work at, at BTB as inspiration, etc. And and so whenever I have a chance to sit down with you, Raph, it's it's I feel the same way. Uh, I'm in in this I'm in this game because I read your stuff way back in the day, and and it opened up a vista of possibility about the way you could write about sports, about the way you could bring popular culture into sports, and use it as a lens to analyze in a playful way. Um, well, how you could how you could cover uh, deep topics, but you know efficiently and with humor. And so you know I I, I have I aspired for many years to be the analyst you are and continue to be. So it's always it's always a, a great opportunity for me to come and sit down with you. Oh, thanks. Um, what I'll say about that is that you know the, the I started it, and I think everybody here and everybody who's done this um, started it because we just weren't happy with what we were getting. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story of being at Cowboys camp way back in Austin, um, 92, 93, when they were at St. Edwards University, a place now that's covered with dorms. It used to be a practice field and now it's dorms. It no longer exists. But, you know, when Jimmy Johnson was there, the Cowboys used to practice there. And I was, I was there at practice one day, you know, we're, we were all excited, you know, they were coming up. We saw it in 90 and 91. And um, I remember going. Um, and just saying, you know, I, I lived close enough. And I think what I noticed, you know, because I was a news geek and this was the era of newspaper and there was no internet, you know, is that I wanted as much cowboy information. I'm like, I'm excited about this team. I, they're doing camp. It's in Austin. I want to know what's going on. And I would buy the Dallas newspaper and I would buy the San Antonio newspaper and I would buy the, you know, I was lived in the Rio Grande Valley way down south at the tip of Texas. And I bought their newspaper and I buy the Houston Chronicle. And I would like read them like, cause they have beat writers covering the team. Like what are we, what's going on at camp? What's going on at camp? And it was kind of mystifying. Everybody had the same template. Everybody printed the same story. And it was like, this is the attendance. And this was the play of the day. And this was the catch of the day. And it was just, and it's, it, it was weird because it was like, 
why are these all the same? And I, you know, I went to camp one day and I saw, I saw how the sausage was made, you know, practice was over. Um, all the beat writers kind of huddled in one corner and the, and the team's PR person came out and handed out press releases and they all took it. And it's like, oh, that's where it comes from. The team is writing the story. And I thought, well, that's not telling me anything. I, you know, what's going on? So I figured like, what the hell? I'll go, I'll watch. You know, I lived, it wasn't far for me to get to Austin. So I just thought, I'll just go, I'll watch and I'll just tell people what I see. And, and it kind of, kind of went from there. And I think all of us were just kind of dissatisfied. It's like we, not that we're hyping ourselves as experts, and I'm certainly never going to hype myself as an expert. I mean, I played a little bit and I got to coach a little bit, but in no way am I, you know, on the level of all the people that are now. And I, you know, we look around and finally, in the last few years, you know, former coaches or current coaches or former players are coming out, and they're bringing the tools to bear. And I remember just thinking like, you know, if that had been around 25 years ago, I never would have gotten off my couch, but they didn't. And so, you know, there was a vacuum and, and people like us on this, on this thing filled it. And it seemed to resonate with a lot of people who had a lot of the same questions. What is really going on? And that's what, that's all we wanted to do is like know more about the team. Yeah. I know for years when I was covering camp, I was writing the report that, uh, that younger me wanted to read. Right. Mm -hmm. I was trying to. And that's exactly like, why do I want to know? Mm -hmm. The person who's in, you know, Oregon, the person who's in New York, wherever the Cowboy fans are, because they're everywhere. Like, what what would they, it's very simple. You just ask yourself, what are they asking right now? What do they want to know right now? Exactly. Comes to that. Um, so we're going to talk about the Cowboys uh, in, in some detail here, but and we're going to go into the past as well. Before we do, I, as, a, as a sort of a mousse-bouche for this meal, I would love to just kind of pick your brain. I know you are a communications professor and, and teach a lot of film and are an avid uh, film watcher and analyst. And so I would love to just kind of check in with you. Danny and I earlier uh, in this in this episode, we were talking about some of our favorite sports movies. And I would love to just kind of hear from you what some of your favorite films are. With one sports caveat, I okay. would love to hear, and it can be a sports movie or, or not. Um, with one caveat, one of the, one of the five, we want to hear five, one of the five has to be a, a guilty pleasure, which is a film that you know oh, isn't okay. great. You know it's not great. You're not happy to, to announce to your friends that you love it, but you love it anyway, and you'll watch it when it's on. Okay, sure. Um, where, where do we begin with this? Uh, you let's, let's, with let's go um, from five to one. Uh, you know, let's, let's say five the best to one. Uh, well, yeah, let, let me throw in a sports movie. I hadn't put a, a sports movie in there, but I'll throw a sports movie in there. Um, I think my favorite sports movie is not about a team. Uh, it's Diner. Um, yes. Barry Levinson film that came out in 1982, right when I was starting college. And it's, and it's about fandom. And Levinson, this was kind of his calling card movie before he made Rain Man and then before he went in and started doing Homicide on television. And it was one of these films. It's 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 a little gem because it, um, as you know, he's a Baltimore guy and everything about him. He, he kind of preceded David Chase and he did all the Baltimore stuff. And he was a huge Colts fan. And so when he was growing up, uh, when he was a boy, this is the, the coming of age uh, or the beginning of the NFL. He was a Colts fan when Johnny Unitas was there. The Colts suddenly won a championship and they'd been nothing. And it was all about that. And it was all about, you know, the community and, and pulling for a team and how much they loved it and how much these guys that just hung out put football into their lives. And it rang true because he was talking about a real, it wasn't fiction. He was talking, maybe the characters were fiction, but he was it was also the beginning of rock and roll and it was the fifties. And, and so, um, and it launched, there was one of these films that launched like half a dozen careers. Like it was a Mickey Rourke's first film. It was Ellen Barkin's first film. It was a bunch of Tim Daly's first film. There are a bunch of people in there who went on and had, um, I think Daniel, Daniel Stern, um, Daniel Stern was in there. Yeah. Right. A lot of, a lot of people. Um, so, but, but it really rings true. And it, you know, if, if this was, you know, 10 years later, when the Cowboys are coming up, you know, you could kind of make a film about that, like the Cowboys had been great when we were growing up. And then in the 80s, they fell apart. And then in the 90s, they came back. And so it captured that kind of that magic and that electricity that you had as a fan where you just what we're doing right now, you just kind of plugged in to the team and the personalities and you just couldn't get enough of it. And it really he captures that. So that's, that's my favorite sports movie. Um, it's because it's not about 
you know, like a team winning a championship. And there are lots of movies, but uh, sports movies, but that's my favorite sports movie. Next on the list. Oh, next on the list. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, um, uh, there's there's kind of two in the category, and I'll just throw them both out there. Um, the first, Godfather and Doctor Strangelove, because those are movies that I've seen and taught and probably watched about 40 times a piece, and they're like the most quotable movies. Like, every line in those movies have become, like, part of the American lexicon especially probably Godfather 1. You know, people talk about politics or people talk about family or people talk, I'll make them an offer you can't refuse. And you can just go on and on and on. And, you know, and I, I have friends where, you know, don't get don't give us beer and don't get us in the kitchen one night because we'll, or don't get us in a, in a car for three or four hours because we'll recite the whole damn thing. And um, it's got that level of, of stickiness to it. So, um, so that's like two and three. Right, and then... Uh, do you have a guilty pleasure? Uh, my guilty pleasure is actually a category. Um, it's it's any film that has uh, the the French act- actress Francoise Dorliac in it. She's my movie star girlfriend, and if you don't know her, she was Catherine Deneuve's older sister and was kind of had a very short career. She died in a car accident when she was like twenty five, but she made like about eight films and they were all wonderful. And she worked with all these big directors and she's this very slender, beautiful brunette with a smoky voice. And it's just like, she's my guilty pleasure. She's my, as I said, she's my movie star girlfriend. So I'll watch anything she does. Before we go to number one, uh, Dan, do you have a guilty pleasure? Oh man. I, you know, I feel embarrassed now, you know, after listening to, you know, to Raph and, uh, you know, his movies, uh, but I do have a guilty pleasure. Um, I actually, I really enjoy the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, I think there's, you know, it's it's there's a lot of adventure in the movie. Um, I love the music. I think the score is 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 outstanding, and I I love the the Brian Adams song too. That everything I do is just one of my favorite songs. But I really thought that you know the great characters. The story moved along really well. Um, I'm not a big Kevin Costner fan. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things he does that I like, but I'm not like huge Kevin Costner guy. Um, but after Robin Hood, I started to enjoy, you know, watching him more. And um, and I know he got a lot of criticism with you know the accent and everything. And and but and, and Alan Rickman also too. I got to mention him. He was he was fantastic. And I thought that he had peaked after uh, Die Hard. You know because playing the Hans Gruber that was just a sensational job with that character but then he just turned it up with the you know the the sheriff of Nottingham so that that was a uh, so Robin Hood is a I think it's an outstanding movie even though a lot of people uh you know not so high on it what about you Rabs uh I think mine is uh I, mine is Aliens it's the second Aliens movie mm. uh I, I I think I mean the first one's really a masterpiece the second one's a little bit more pop culture but you you were talking earlier Raph about um the sort of quotability of some movies and I feel like that mm-hmm. one's loaded with these fantastic quotes that continue to resonate resonate for me it's one of those movies where even if it's halfway through if, if it's on you know late at night I'll, I'll I'll watch I'll watch the rest of it and um you know, I, I recognize that that it and the genre it's part of are not always, you know, the the most well thought of generally. But um, I just, I just, I, I've always loved that movie. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And so uh, let, let's wrap this up. What's your what's your number one? Number one. Okay. Well, number one right now, as I tell people, like my list changes like week to week. But uh, probably number one for me uh, is The Big Sleep. Um, I love Howard Hawks. Um, I've taught Howard Hawks and Howard Hawks for me is like the quintessential American director. Um, he made everything and he made everything well. He's made archetypal, um, gangster films. He did the first Scarface. He's made archetypal, uh, uh, screwball comedies or, you know, he's done, um, bringing up baby and things like that nature. He, he's done women's films. He did, a uh, 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 gentlemen prefer blondes you know he's made archetypal westerns red river and everything else and and action adventure films only angels have wings he did real bravo so but this is kind of all the mix it's a it's kind of a crime comedy film 
Um, and it's it's kind of all the elements of classical Hollywood kind of thrown in a blender, all the best ones. You know, it's a Humphrey Bogart film. It's a Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall film. William Faulkner was a co-writer, was a script writer on this thing of all, when he was in his drunken Hollywood phase. Um, it's from a Dashiell Hammett novel. So it's, you know, uh, um, hard boiled. And it's just, it's so much fun. And his world is all about, Hawk's world is all about tough guys and tough girls. And this is the ultimate, like, tough guy, tough girl couple. And they're bantering and they're cross-talking and there's, and they're, you know, all these sexual double entendres in the banter. And it's just, it's just fun. So it's old. It's an old movie. It was made in the 40s, but I've seen it with, you know, younger crowds and it holds up and, and people like it because it's just, I think it's really well done. So that's my guilt it's a guilty pleasure but it's i just think it's it's really good so excellent well thank you for that thank you for weighing okay. in um i want to shift gears a little bit now and get to the get to the uh, the meat of our meal here um so we're going to play a sort of extended game uh the, the, the title of this game is if i ran the circuits it's pretty simple um <laughs> we basically get to declare what we do if we were the gm of america's team um so today's topic is going to be about what the Cowboys need to do this offseason to get past the divisional round, which is, of course, the bugaboo that has plagued them for many a year now. Um, and since this is a sort of special offseason edition, we're going we're gonna to have a kind of three-part structure. So I'm, I'm going to hand it up to, to Dan for the first part, and um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk through this situation we find ourselves in. All right, so... So we know we're constantly coming up short, you know, and it and it's really wearing on Cowboys fans. We can we all hear it on you know Cowboys Twitter, and um, so every off season we got the fingers pointing at the front office, the coaching staff, the players, and so if we are going to fix this problem, we have to understand where the problem lies. So our first question for you is: What is obstructing this Cowboys football team? So explain to me why we haven't been able to advance past the divisional round in 26 years? Um, I, That's a simple, I, for simple me, question. Okay, okay. Uh, for <laughs> me, it, com- it comes down to um, a question of identity. Um, when they won championships in the Landry era and in the Johnson era, we, they knew who they were and we knew who they were and their opponents knew who they were. You know, when, when Tom was running the team, they had, uh, they had a really good dominant 4-3 defense and they built their defensive line and they worked backwards and they had great quarterbacks and they had a really good, they had a balanced attack. They ran and they passed. Um, you know, the Johnson era, they had a, a small but very fast um, defense and they played quarters zone and they brought that from college and they had small ends who were linebackers in college and 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 it was new and they got ahead of the game and they and they ran it and it was simple for them and it was hard for other people to catch up to and on offense um, again they were balanced and and it was but they had a they had this offensive line that could just pound the snot out of you and they would throw down the field and they weren't sexy I mean it was it was all about execution and it was all about beating you up and making you quit in the fourth quarter. And, you know, for those of us who grew up with Landry um, and knowing that he oftentimes with his Rasmus came up short against teams like the Lombardi Packers in the sixties or, you know, the Chuck Knoll Steelers in the seventies and, you know, in the Bill Walsh 49ers in the eighties, but we knew that one of the one of the problems, especially against those first two teams, was that those teams play football the way that Jimmy Johnson played football in the 90s. It's like I'm going to have a physical team and I'm going to be athletic and I'm going to be better conditioned than you. And then in, I'm just going to wear you out. And so it was very refreshing to see, you know, kind of the tables turned and be on that side of the equation of winning championships that way. Now, in the 26 years, you know, since since the since the the talent started to wear out, let's say around 1995, 1996, what are they? You know, who are they? Um, 
it changes from year to year. It changes from regime to regime. You know, we don't know. You're like you, and you look at successful teams, you know what the Patriots are going to do, right? And people can say, well, they had Tom Brady, but still they have a scheme on offense that they've been running for forever. You know, Belichick has a way he runs on defense. You look at Kansas city, Andy Reid has a philosophy and that he goes back to Philadelphia in the, in the, in the, in the, in the late eighties when he took over there, the very early nineties, you know, he, he's all about speed on offense and, you know, he'll play with his defense, but you look at the successful, uh, you look at the Steelers, the Steelers have a certain way that they like to play. And that's been true for generations, decades. Who are the Cowboys? You know, who are the Cowboys? They, in the early Jason Garrett period, you know, from like 2011 to 2014, I mean, yeah, when he drafted Tyron and he drafted Frederick and he drafted Zach Martin, he kind of said, we're going back to Sluggo football. We're going back to Jimmy Johnson football. And, you know, that's what brought 2014. That's what brought 2016. Probably the two best runs, aside from 2007, when Parcells had, you know, that was Parcells with Romo, Parcells team with Romo running it. Um, You know, the best runs at a Super Bowl, one with Romo, one with... um, with Dak as a rookie, but those had kind of an identity. You know, I went back and I watched them uh, a couple of weeks ago, and this is going to lead into like, what would you do? But uh, I'm kind of teasing it, you know, and I watched them play Seattle in 2014 and Seattle was the defending champs. And, you know, Seattle had that great defense, probably the best defense of the decade of the 2010s. And they played, they played the Broncos, you know, the, who had set a record that year for the most points in a 16 game season and Peyton Manning was running and we thought, Oh my God, who can stop them? And they crushed the Broncos, you know, this is probably the best defense probably in, in like 10 years. And the Cowboys went into Seattle and just lined up and said, we're going to outslug you. And they did. And in the fourth quarter, they just ran the ball down their throats and just, and just said, you can't stop us. And, you know, that carried over, you know, even when Romo broke and Dak was a rookie in 2016, they still had that great line. They could go into places like Pittsburgh and just run the ball in the fourth quarter. And you, you look at him now, it's like, certainly since Tyron started to get hurt in 2017, the last four or five years, like, what are they? You know, on defense, they played this kind of Mar- Marinelli kind of hold it together. Last year, they got an identity finally with Dan Quinn changed everything. I think he surprised everybody. I'm going to play man to man coverage. I'm going to blitz. I've got this, I've got this magic, you know, from the football gods move piece um, in, in Micah Parsons that, that makes everything, everything click. And suddenly they have an identity there, but they didn't have an identity on defense for the 10 years prior to that. You'd have to go back to like Oh nine when Wade had that wonderful three, four, the last time they did Cowboys had a defense that you could just show up and say, Ooh, they're fun to watch. Oh, they can win games by themselves. And so they just did a decade where they said, we're going to run on Romo. We're going to run the offense. And it's, it's kind of like, who are, what, what do they want to do? I don't think they know. And to me, that's the problem. Who are the Cowboys? Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. So I guess my question, my follow-up question then is, to, to, wh- whose fault is that that they don't have an identity? Oh, come on. <laughs> who who runs the team? Who owns the team? I mean, I know. Like, there, there, Is there another answer? No, there isn't. Who hires the coaches? You know, who... Who, uh, I mean, they let the coaches run it. You know, they let Jason Garrett run it for 10 years. But again, they let him, they let him stay too long. And there's too, there's too much invested in, and it, again, this is nothing new, but, you know, let me, let me give you an analogy from baseball, okay? Because Jimmy Johnson, a couple, two years ago, before McCarthy was hired, when everything hit the wall for Jason Garrett, and they, they asked him, what's wrong with it? And he used a word, he said, they're a country club team. And you know, and you probably know too, Dan, when I was growing up, when I was a kid, you know, and, and, and you know, I, I, I lived for a time on the East Coast and I married a woman from the East Coast. And so I kind of was kind of sucked into like American League East baseball. And so I learned all about, you know, Yankees and Red Sox and all that nature. And if you know anything about that rivalry from that sport, when the Yankees were winning all the time, the Red Sox were a very good team and were a very close second. Although they went, you know, like almost 100 years, 90 some odd years between championships and the curse of the Bambino. And they, people mythologized it all. But they were owned by a guy named Tom Yockey, who is a, a gentleman. He was, a, he was independently wealthy, like he was a yachtsman. And he was very generous to his players and people loved to play for him and they were competitive and they could get to the world series about once every 15, 20 years, but they never got over the hump. And everybody said they're too comfortable. Yaki treats his players like his sons. He runs, he runs his club like a country club. Right. And I saw that for decades and they, mo- they bemoaned it. They like, he was a nice guy and, and the players loved him and it was like a family, but, you're in the business to win championships. And when you run it that way, if you're too close to the players, you know, um, and, and so when, when Jimmy says it's a country club, I, I think he, he touches the nerve. That was the problem. I still think that's the problem. And I just, and until, until some, at some future point, that dynamic changes, I think we're just looking to be disappointed as much as I hate saying that. Now, if the front office, i.e. The, the Joneses, ha- have seen firsthand, both Stephen, you know, Stephen was old enough to have been involved in that, and obviously Jerry was here. They've seen firsthand that having an identity and, and, and not having that kind of relationship with your players can lead to historically great results. So why do they insist on... The, the, the current model. I mean, they, they, they know the other model wins. Because I think they get close enough. They get close enough with their model. Right. Every three or four years, you know, they'll go 13 mm-hmm. and three. This last year, you know, this last year, although it was obvious they had flaws. They it's clear to me in the in the aftermath of the 49ers loss, they had convinced themselves that this team was better than it was. And I know that, you know, when Bill Parcells first came on in 2003, he brought his buddy Ron Wolf with him. You know, Wolf had run the Packers. Wolf had run the Raiders. He'd worked with Al Davis, and he built the Packers into champions in the 90s with Brett Favre. And he had been in Tampa before that, and he brought in John McKay. And, and Parcells had worked with him along the way, and Parcells trusted him. And, and you know, the Jones had talked to Joneses had talked him into running the club. And, you know, when he came in, he brought Ron into his first camp and he just said, I just want you to stand over there and I want you to, to assess everybody we have. And then after a week or two, I want to sit down with you and I want to know, I want you to tell me straight, what do we really have? Because he was worried that the organization had oversold itself and convinced itself that, the problem wasn't the lack of talent. It was, you know, like coaching or it was this or some variable. And he was, he was very much of the belief that, you know, he liked to play kind of way Jimmy Johnson did different kind of bodies, different kind of different scheme, but he is what we call an athlete guy. Al Davis was an athlete guy. Um, The Cowboys are an athlete team, get superior athletes, 
make it simple for them, and let's let them beat the guy across from you. And I think, you know, that's been a problem. I've heard that from Brian Broaddus talking about that from his time when he was with the club of the nights, that they convinced themselves that they were better, they're bad at quality control. They're bad at self-assessment. And so, you know, when, when I hear Stephen Jones say, boy, I was really convinced that this team must could have been something special. I look at him like, okay, you, you drank your own Kool-Aid. I mean, maybe this team could have won a playoff game, but I couldn't, I could, no way I could see this club, the way it was set up with the shortcomings that it has winning four playoff games. No, maybe one, maybe they've got lucky two, but I, there was no way they were going to win four, but they believe that. And they, every three or four years, you know, Dak takes them to 13 and three. And then like two years prior to that, Romo took them to 12 and four. They get close. And so they convince themselves it's not a problem. It's just bad luck. I mean, I think in, uh, to Talk some degree, to some degree, it is bad luck because they, you know, they got unlucky in the playoffs, but, but, but there's a, it's, it's the, the fact that they had bad luck in those rare opportunities when they, when everything sort of, when all the stars aligned, maybe, maybe true, but that, but, but, the, but then when you allow that to be the dominant narrative is when you get into trouble, but they're not built to last. Right. No, no. So, you know, like 2016, they were 13 and three. And then what happens? Two years later, they almost destroyed Dak Prescott because they went cheap on the offensive line and he got killed in the second half of 2016. And, you know, I I did this thing that I started when I was um, running uh, Cowboys Nation. Um, Actually, I started it before when I was still at Boy Stop. I've read so many blogs, I forget which one. But around 2004, 2005, when I started doing that solo I sat down because I used to get the annuals every year. And, you know, they'd say, who's the team of the year going to be the surprise team of the year? And I said, surprise team of the year. This is nonsense. You know, on average, the NFL turns over 50% of its playoff pool from one year to the next. Okay. So there's 12 teams that made the playoffs this year. Well, extra because we had the 17 game schedule, right? 14 teams, but next year, six to eight of those are going to be brand new. That's just the the league is set up to turn that way. And the better organizations overcome that, you know, New England, when they were good, didn't matter to them. You know, Pittsburgh, when they were good, didn't matter to them. Denver, when Peyton was, or when Peyton was with the Colts, so it didn't matter. They were going to make it every year, right? Andy Reid was with the Eagles most of the time would make it, okay? Um, The Cowboys are not like that. They used to, they used to be, but, you know, and and I, I created this category called the Fantastic Four, which is, I found it, I started quantifying it. Every year, every year, on average, four teams, not, not four teams that missed the playoffs the year before, four teams that had losing records the year before make the playoffs the next year. They jump, they improve five or six games, you know, and this year, I, I got I patted myself on the back because I picked three of four. Oh, I missed the Bengals, which were the biggest one of them all, but there were four. Right. And the Bengals were five and 11. And this year they were in the Super Bowl. They almost won it. But that happens every year. OK. And the Cowboys were one of those four. I predicted them because, you know, injuries and everything else. So they made it. Right. But when you look at it this year, I look at it and I say. I think they're more likely to be one of those teams that falls out than they are to stay. Now, they're lucky they're in a crappy division. But yeah. they're not going to help themselves. I, I the, from what everything I hear. At the beginning of their postseason, the last week or two, I think I I, I find I have find it hard to see how the roster that they begin with, unless they get really lucky in the draft again, is going to be better on opening day 2022 than it was on opening day 2021. Let's let's use that as a, as a way to 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 talk about building a roster. Um, sure. So we just talk, we've just sort of talked about what we don't do well, and I, and I think that everything you said is is right in line with with my uh, impressions. You know, um, I, I really think that that the, their inability to accurately self analyze and self evaluate is a is a big problem. They they too way too quickly talk themselves into um, thinking that they're a, a damn sight better than they are. So now we've we've identified what we're doing well, where we have gone astray. So how can we develop our, our, you know, roster building philosophy? So, so Raph, if you ran the circus, so to speak, how would you build a roster in today's NFL? Where are you allocating your precious resources? 
What would you do? And I mean, this doesn't even have to be specifically about the Cowboys. Like you were just talking about the fact that they don't have a philosophy, right? Well, so I'll, I'll, what's your I'll philosophy? The, I'll stay with the Cowboys. Okay, great. Um, because I mean, I've been writing about it for, I spent the first, I spent all of the odds writing about it and just banging my head against the wall and writing this story every year. It's like, hey, people, you win, you won because you had a dominant offensive line and then you convince yourself that let's allocate all of our resources into skill position players and let's go cheap on the offensive line or let's go bite on free agency where it's bad value right and it's when they finally went back to that formula at the beginning of the 2010s that they had a period where they were competitive again and what i'm seeing now and i've chat with people and i have tiffs with people on this on twitter i was like they have to rebuild that line you know i was talking about i'm watching them out slug seattle you know and it, that was seven eight and they're gonna be now eight years ago and i watched this team that lost to san francisco and san francisco had a defensive line that had three number one picks on it and when they played washington the year before when washington the division and washington had four number one picks on it what happens to this line now it's no longer dominant it gets beat up and it gets its quarterback beat up and it gets its running. It's very expensive running back beat up and people get mad because the quarterback can't throw to the expensive receivers because he's getting beat up and getting chased. And, you know, Andy Dalton comes in and he gets his head taken off because they can't protect him. So to me, it starts with there, you know, when, when they've had athleticism and, and, and muscle on the line, you know, and this goes back to Bill Callahan days. This goes back to the Johnson days. This goes back to the Landry days. When they have all pros on the line, that's when they win. And when they don't, they don't. So to me, it starts there. And I just think this line needs more blood, quality blood input. You know, people are like, well, you, can, you don't need to spend your first round pick on it. I said, well, because teams don't. You know, in the in the in the the great line the Cowboys had in the nineties didn't have any number one picks on it. But look at the Will McClay era. Look at the look at the last fifteen years of this club. This club, if you look at the quality players that they had, the all pros that they've had, they've all come in the first round. And when they pick in the second and the third, they get guys like Chaz Green and 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 the uh, and the uh, the Connors, you know, Williams and and McGovern. You know, those, those two guys were second rounders. Uh, Chaz Green was a, was a, was a third rounder. Uh, Tyler Biotish is fourth. You know, the only good player they pulled out of the late rounds of those in like the last 15 years have been Ron Leary. And he was lucky, you know, they got him in like the sixth or seventh, but he was a guy who had a bulky knee. It was kind of the Jeremiah Trotter thing. Like he's either going to play 10 years or he's going to play one. And they rolled the dice on him in the late rounds and he, they hit with him and he was great. But, you know, for me, given their track record, I want to see them go and hide with that because they haven't proven to me that they can otherwise. So where do, where do you fall in terms of um, this sort of this sort of like balance, uh, you know, between the draft and free agency in terms of prioritizing, keeping draft picks, that kind of thing? Do you have, do you have thoughts about about? How you I'm happy to trade. I resources? think I think they should trade. I think they should play more in free agency. They've they have a very schizophrenic approach to free agency, which is they go they go for the big ticket. They don't go, but they don't look at say, hey, you know, there are positions where you can get quality for budget. You can get inside linebackers. You can get secondary players. Um, on reasonable contracts you can find a guard you can find a tight end yeah. for yeah. reasonable amounts of money um, you can find running backs for reasonable amounts of money but no what do they do when they go into free agency oh well they splurge on a guy and we have to go back a while but they'll splurge on a guy like leonard davis because they need a, a guard you know and they'll pay they'll pay him like an all pro and he's a good player and so that's inefficient or they'll they'll you know or when they go into the don't get me started on on jerry's just um how should i put it um 
his fetish for wide receivers. Um, if you look at what he paid for people like Terrell Owens or to get to, uh, to go up and, and get uh, Des Bryant or, you know, I, and he finally Joey Galloway, for, Roy Williams. Joey Galloway, right, right. Mari um, Cooper. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just like when go draft him. Look at in, in this day with the way college is cranking out quality receivers, you can get in the second and third round. It's like there's no reason to do that. But I, I think they've kind of spooked themselves out of free agency. Like they they because they want to do it the way they used to do it, which is they put themselves into cap hell a couple of times or or bank or, or short shorted their draft pools because they traded. And for some reason they they just they're highly inefficient at the receiver position. And then, and then a guy like Miles Austin falls out of the sky. And you're like, Hey guys, you know, look at that. That's the lesson. That's the lesson. The answer's right there, gentlemen. With that type of philosophy, what would you, let's, let's give us some action items for this, this Cowboys team to, to take on this off season or, or maybe even going further. What would you prioritize as far as, you know, specifically, what would you like to see them do? Well, I'd like to see them not go crazy. You know, they have, they built a talent pool for this team. And now they're convincing themselves that, well, we need to retrench. Oh, we need to, let's get rid of Amari Cooper. Or we don't know what we're going to do about DeMarcus Lawrence. And I'm like, you know, the, their defensive line was actually a strength when Lawrence was healthy and Parsons was healthy and Randy Gregory was healthy. And it's like, hey, this is different. You know, how, how long has Gregory made you wait for him? And then here he is. And he's actually he looks there are moments when he flashes and he looks like a young Charles Haley where he's this skinny guy who has this ridiculously kind of hidden strength where he can take on a, a tackle and with leverage kind of jack guys who are 50, 60 pounds heavier than him off the ground. And it's stunning how strong he is. And you're like, Oh, that's what it was all about. You know, that's what the weight was for. And now that they have him, well, let's maybe, maybe we can't keep him, you know, and, and DeMarcus Lawrence. Well, again, they gave up a lot to get him and he's been very good and he's in his prime and he's got a motor and, you know, on seniority, he should be your captain. And now they're talking about letting him go. And it's like, keep your strengths strong so that you can target your weaknesses. Because I'm afraid what's going to happen is if they let a couple of these guys go, if they let a receiver walk or they let a, def- a, a rusher walk, then they're going to go into the first where I think they should be adding a quality offensive lineman to what is the weakest unit. And they're going to say, oh, no, but we lost DeMarcus Lawrence. We've got to get a pass rusher. Well, then you're just running in place, right? And your weakness doesn't get better. Oh, we've got to get a receiver more than likely because they love receivers. So, and again, where this year they had three really good ones. That's what scares me about them. So I wish I could say, well, if I was running it, I would do that. But this is the problem that all of us, and you have it and you have it and I have it. And everybody else who's out there who who's on Twitter and wants this team to win. And we look at it and we spend all this time looking at draft, you know, draft prospects and everything else. And it's, it's kind of why I don't, kill myself on this much anymore we can spend hundreds of hours looking at these guys and building a list and and convincing ourselves this is what they should do in the back of our minds we know but they're going to do this other thing instead because that's what they always do and they're going to do it again i hate to say it they're going to do it again and that's why they exasperate us because they don't seem to that's the lesson that I just think they yeah you know they, miss. they they always pride themselves on trying to to go pure in the draft and uh the one thing that's puzzling with the talks of Cooper and, and Lawrence possibly being cap hits is it seems like like you said it would kind of force them to address those positions so I'm just kind of confused like why they would do something like that and then turn around and just now they have a, a big need when the the more Cowboys thing to do was to be go into the, the draft and draft pure, you know, and it could be, you could have an offensive lineman, you know, fall right, right there. I'm what it just, I, I guess I'm having trouble figuring out what, what kind of direction would they be trying to go 
by making by cutting you know these really talented players like and and one of the few guys that they actually hit on high in the draft it's kind of like you hit on this guy and you nurtured him and you know you don't have a good track record with that so here's a guy you hit who's really productive and and goes crazy on the field for you this is another aspect that hurts is that they are so schizophrenic and so often wrong about giving second contracts. They gave Marcus Lawrence a second contract, but now they want to terminate it. Why? He's productive. But meanwhile, they're, they're hamstrung because they gave uh, Ezekiel Elliott a second contract and that's going to kill him. All right. And they just, they can't play that part of the game very well. And that bleeds into and causes problems in the draft. You know, the, that, that, the, the, pro, the pro personnel hat that Steven wears, uh, that Jerry wears. Okay. That, that doesn't have anything to do with the scouts assessing. That's them writing checks. And I hate to say it, they have so much money, but they're not good at writing checks. You know, Belichick is kind of the extreme on the opposite end where he doesn't give very many. He only gave second contracts to people like Brady and he would let Richard Seymour walk or he wouldn't let him walk. He would take a guy like Chandler Jones or he would take a guy like uh, Richard Seymour. And when they were a year away and they're all pros and, and they want and they deserve that contract. Seymour just went into the hall this week, this last month. right? He traded him for a first round pick. He got four years out of him, four or five good years out of him. And then when it was time to give him that really big second contract, they might have blown up his contract. He's like, he's not a quarterback. I'm going to trade him and I'm going to get another first round pick and replace him. Okay. That's a philosophy, right? Who are we? They have a philosophy of how they run their money. Chandler Jones is a great player. He was a great player for the Cardinals last year. But they traded him and they got multiple, or it was a Jamie, there's somebody else. There's like two or three other players, but they've done this. You know, if, if they hit on it, he keeps defensive backs. Okay. That's one thing Belichick does. If he hits on a defensive back, because those are so hard to find, but if it's a pass rusher, if it's a linebacker, he trusts himself to be able to replace those guys. And so if he has an asset, he'll trade them. And so he hits, he doesn't lose because, okay, I got four or five years and now I got a number one pick so I can replace him with a guy of equal value. Now, he's not the greatest drafter in the world, but who's won more in the last 20 years? You know, part of that Everybody. reason, yes, he got lucky in a quarterback, but also he has, he knows who he is and his organization knows who they are. And so they have a way of doing it, which is this organization, seated the pants. Well, you want to talk about who got lucky with a quarterback. I mean, well, this organization gets lucky with quarterbacks. This is and they waste them. the most fortunate. I mean, I, what, what other organization? I mean, if you think about other organizations who went seamlessly from one like all pro caliber quarterback to another all pro caliber quarterback, how many of them spent the draft capital or the, the, the paltry draft capital the, no the draft Cowboys capital. did for, the, for right. those two, right? I mean, if you're thinking about like Since Montana 2000 and Young or 2006, right? They've yeah. had quality Pro Bowl caliber quarterback play or near Pro Bowl caliber quarterback play almost uninterrupted except for the years where they're injured, where Romo breaks collarbone. Since 2006, we're like 15, 16 years, right, on a, what do they spend? A fourth, one fourth round pick. Nobody else. The Colts maybe are that lucky. The Packers were pretty lucky. Replaced. The Pat, well, yeah, the Packers were, the Packers, the Packers were lucky. The Packers spent a first rounder or, or but Rogers was a first, first rounder rounder to, pick. to get to get to Favre and Rogers. It was, yeah. Favre or Rogers was late, and, later. And the, and the Colts, the Colts, you know, the, they spent the first overall pick in the draft twice. They still had the, I mean, it's a tremendous amount of capital. And so, I mean, think about where the Cowboys would be if they hadn't lucked into both of those quarterbacks. Oh, they'd be terrible. It, we'd be, we'd be, you know, we'd be in the Clint Sterner era with better receivers. <laughs> we, we would be, I mean, who's a really bad organization? We'd be the Lions. Mm-hmm. We would be mm-hmm. the Lions. 
were that I mean that lucky quarterback is all that's kept the Cowboys this century from being the Lions or the Browns. Yep. Yeah, or yeah, or the Cardinals, one of those sort of perpetually, like you were talking about the teams that churn in and out of the playoffs. There's sort of three categories, right? There's the teams that are well-managed and, and generally make the playoffs. There's the teams that churn in and out, and then there's the teams that never, Most of the that clubs. Ne- that never make it. There's like it right. five or four or five clubs that just can never get it right. Right, and there's four or five clubs that are always there, and then there's the vast, the vast middle that churns in and out, and the Cowboys are one of those. And and if it, but they're they're one of those, as you've just said, I think because they've gotten incredibly lucky twice, mm-hmm. and and you know ha- had a miracle, as as Jerry said when he was deep in his cups, and they've had two <laughs> miracles happen to them. They've had two miracles. Um... Yeah. Well, you know, you were saying earlier that that there's this kind of schizophrenia and that leads to them, you know, having a good year and then, and then falling out of, uh, you know, as the, as the sort of churn happens, they, they, mm-hmm. they, 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 the sort of, you know, the wheel turns and they end up, they end up back out of the playoffs. And it, it certainly seems like, you know, all indications are that that's going to happen again. One of the other things about the Cowboys, it's really interesting to me. And I think this is a lot about Jerry's psychology is when they have a bad year, Jerry gets embarrassed and it seems like they, they have a more focused off season. And then when they do well, he sort of he spends a lot of time patting stuff on the back mm-hmm. and they seem to make the Absolutely. worst, the worst choices. They either make no choice or, or, they, or, or the, he but, convinces himself that they're a player away and they, and they spend too much on and some. And that's goes to not having a plan. Difference. Yeah. And not being and not who knowing who you are and not knowing how good real how good you really are. That's right. That's right. right. And right. Oh, well, I don't know. How do we, how do you change that again? It, it, because we look at look at the NFC right now. OK. Um, the Rams just won a championship, but the Rams have age. Rams have a lot of big contracts. So the Rams window could be a very short one. Now they're well coached. They have a really good core. But again, you know, the NFL is an injury run league. So, you know, that that's that's a brittle championship. That's that's not one that's built for the next four years. Okay. Look at the Packers. Okay. They they're a team that can't get over the hump. And, you know, Rogers won a championship way back when, but He's got, um, you know, what's what's a what's a modern equivalent? It's kind of a lot of Donovan McNabb in him. You know, he's like a good front runner in the regular season, and the playoffs coming, and then suddenly it's not there. But he did it once, okay? So that buys him a lot of forgiveness. The, the, the year he, he did it, though, the year he did it, you remember that he? I think they had maybe one home playoff game and then they had a, a game at, at Atlanta indoors. And then the, the, the Super Bowl was also indoors. So like people have pointed out that it doesn't make a lot of sense to build a team for the cold when you rely on a, on a, a California quarterback, you know, where, where he's great. Right. He's great. He's great when the weather's nice, but as soon as it starts to, to, you know, turn toward the ice bowl weather, suddenly you've got a team that's not built to win. Okay. And, and look, Brady's gone from Tampa, so they're gone. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so absolutely. so you know all this like, well, we're not going to go all in. Well, I can't think of a better year to do it. And think about where your, your, your division is, is weak. Your division is weak. The mm-hmm. South, well, Peyton's gone. You know, Drew Brees retired. Brady just left. That division's very weak. Atlanta's, you know, might trade Matt Ryan. So you got two divisions. You you can run your division because you're still the only team in that division with a quarterback. Okay. And the South suddenly doesn't have any quarterbacks. And in the North, well, maybe Justin Fields can come around. Maybe we know where Rogers is. He's been around forever. Um, the lions are, you know, they're, they're, they're playing with the guts, but they don't have a quarterback. So you go to the West and there is some talent in the West, but you know, Garoppolo's Garoppolo. Kyler Murray's a weird guy. Um, Seattle looks like they're ready to rebuild. So it's just the Rams. It's like, take a run at them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can you know it's like the nfc is kind of teed up for you and 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 it's almost like the cowboys are kind of like but we don't want to and and that baffles me that baffles me because again it's like they're playing in a vacuum and mm-hmm. you can't do that you just can't do that well, I th- on that note, I think we're going to have to wrap up. Uh, Raf, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, it was great, great chatting with you. Uh, so just so everyone out there knows, uh, you can find Raf 
uh, on Twitter at Daily Gooner Raf. That's Daily Gooner R A F. Moonlighting in another sport. So another football. <laughs> so, um, um, and you're the because they don't, they, because they don't break my heart as much as the Cowboys do, but they're, they're their own bag of bag of anxiety. So, um, so they can find you podcasting there, right? At the Daily Gooner as well. And, yeah, uh, and, um, and you're still writing for the uh, for the Cowboys. Uh, yeah, I wrote for Cowboys Wire. Wire. We'll we'll have to see about that. I'm actually working on some academic sports projects right now. So oh, awesome. We'll see how that. Well, well listen, out. thanks thanks so much for coming on. It was great having you and we we, we hope you. to you know have you back on again sometime for sure. Some, for some Love to Cowboys do it. talk. Love to do it. Thank you, Raf. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure, gentlemen. Man, that was great talking to Raphael. I know we mentioned this before, but I, I can't say it enough. He's the reason I do this. I have always and continue to aspire to be uh, the kind of football analyst that he is. So getting a chance to, to sit down and talk with him is always a succinct pleasure. Yeah, and I really think, uh, Rabs, too, it's like, you know, it just hits the core of what this show is and just kind of be able to to provide these learning moments for, for the listeners. So absolutely, that was fantastic guest. Great show this week. That's what we have for this week. What do we got going on next week? Ah, we have another fantastic guest. Uh, we're going to have the great John Owning, um, formerly a writer for Dallas Morning News, now working for Football Focus. Um, and one of the best, if not the very best, um, sort of analyst of talent, um, really, really good at art- articulating why players you know, win matchups, etc. cetera. Uh, so he's a perfect person, I think, to talk about the, the, the combine. So we'll, we'll ask him, hey, what did you learn from the combine? And we'll have him ID some top players at positions of need for the Cowboys, both in free agency and in the draft. Uh, I am very excited about that. But that's it for our show today. Tomorrow we'll have Cowboys Oi with Mauricio Rodriguez. And Sunday we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check both of those out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver and blue, and we will catch you later. Last dismissed! Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com slash Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.